Hey, man, thank you so much. Wow, so we're in the next to the last topic of Revelation, and we're going to have a great time today studying one of my favorite topics of the book of Revelation. Let's uh, open our Bibles to chapter 19. We're going to be studying chapter 19 today, so go ahead and look in your Bibles to chapter 19. Well, our, our basic uh, series has a title. I mean, the main title has been Revelation, a message of? Of hope. Let's say it together. Revelation, a message of hope. And today's topic, today's topic is going to be uh, based on the book of Revelation chapter 19. So let's see if we can get this going here. All right. So there it is. Jesus, the rider of the white horse. <laughs> okay. So that is our topic today. And of course, we're going to be focusing on the second coming of Jesus and how the fulfillment of that promise will be the fulfillment of the hope of Christians throughout the ages. After the presentation of the fall of Babylon that we have already studied, the condemnation of the great whore, the seven last plagues, Armageddon that we already studied, we have the scene of the second coming of Jesus presented in chapter 19. So let's read from verses 11 to 16. So uh, just follow me. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed up in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which he to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He threads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I think we have plenty of biblical evidence to know who's riding that horse. So that's why I have the title, Jesus the rider of the white horse. So there's plenty of evidence to show us that he is the one riding this, this horse. But we also find various names given to Jesus in this passage that we have just read. And of course, names always have to do with character. So these names are describing his character. So they're descriptions that have to do with Jesus. And the scenes indicate that everything is placed in the context of the second coming of our Lord Jesus. So this is the vision that John receives close to the end of the revelation that he receives on the island of Patmos. Okay, so this is close to the end of the revelation. Now, there's a question that is logical and that a lot of people ask. Does that mean that Jesus will come on horseback? What do you guys think? Of course not. Remember that the book of Revelation contains many symbols. The, the language is symbolic unless the context uh, indicates otherwise. So Jesus is not going to come on horseback, okay? <laughs> okay? But we need to understand what it means, what this passage is indicating. So first of all, we have the color. We studied that when we studied the, uh, the, the seven churches, remember, and then the seals. And, and, and so we studied uh, one white horse, which Jesus was riding on, which represented the first uh, century of Christianity. And so what does white mean? Purity. Okay. 
So you guys, you guys are right on it, okay? So white means purity. But what does the white horse mean? <laughs> so this is something new for some of you maybe. So what is the white horse? Okay, so let, let's see what the white horse is. So it's important to remember that horses in biblical times were very important elements of war. I mean, they would use the horses to go to war. Now, the white horse is a symbol of victory. So I want you guys to just imagine the following scene. All the men have gone to war. So there's this town, and the only people left are the children, the wives, maybe the elderly. And so all the men have gone to war. And so the expectation was that my father is going to be part of the winning team, right? <laughs> okay, we want him to be part of the winning team. So the kids are waiting for their father to come back alive and well. But how do they know if they won the battle or not? Well, the commander of the army would come riding, galloping in a white horse into town in front of his army. And so when they would see that white horse come in, Everyone would shout, victory, we have won. The battle has been won. So they knew that the battle had been won because of the white horse. So we have to understand how important it is that Jesus is seen coming, mounted on a white horse because the battle has been won. And when Jesus comes again, he's not going to be no more the, the, the man of sorrows or, 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 or experience in pain, a baby in a manger, the son of a carpenter mocked by men. No, he will come back victorious as Lord of lords and King of kings, victorious over sin, victorious over death. He comes to share his triumph with each one of us. So that's why he's mounted on this White horse. Now, today we're going to give special attention to the names given to Jesus in this passage that we have just read. So there's four names. Four names. So let's start with the first name. So let's go ahead and put it up on the screen here for you guys. So here we have whose writer is called Faithful and True. So the first name given to Jesus is that he is faithful and true. What does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be True. Remember, this is the scene of the second coming. So you have to connect that with the title or with the name. So basically what we find here is that faithful means that he will fulfill his promise to return. That's what it means to be faithful. He will keep his promise. But what does it mean to be true? Well, it will come to pass in the way that he promised. Because, you know, there's a lot of theology out there that's not biblical. You know, I've been talking to people the last couple of weeks. I had a funeral service the other day, and they were like, don't you dare say that my loved one is not in heaven. Well, I'm sorry, you know. So I didn't say specifically that he wasn't in heaven, but I did say that he was waiting for Jesus to come back and then be resurrected. But, you know, then we have the, 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 the idea that he's going to come secretly. We have theology out there that says that Jesus already came. 1914. Jesus already came. His promise was fulfilled that he came invisibly, and you can only see him through the eyes of faith. The eyes of faith. So let, 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 let's study this a little bit. So he is faithful, meaning that he will come as he promised, and he is true because he'll come in the way that he promised, so that no one can be fooled, right? Okay, how will he come? Well, the Bible says it's going to be spectacular. It's going to be like lightning. All eyes will see him. 
So trying to comfort his disciples, right, before, you know, he was crucified and then resurrected and went to heaven, he said the following words, and I know you guys know this passage pretty well. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many what? Mansions or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, now look at what it says here, I will, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Wow, isn't this amazing? So here we have in Acts 1.11 how he will come back. So Jesus is, is being risen by a cloud, disappearing from the presence of the disciples, and then we have these words by the angels, know that, appeared behind these, these disciples and say, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So that's the, where there's many passages of the Bible that says Jesus is going to come in the clouds of heaven because he went in the clouds of heaven. Now, was he physically seen leave? Yes. So does that mean he's going to be physically seen when he returns? Yes. Now, Jesus went back to heaven. How did he go back? Physically, on the clouds. So that idea that he already came and you can only see him with the uh, eyes of faith, that has to be discarded. <laughs> okay? Or that he's going to come secretly, you know, the, the, the secret rapture. And all of a sudden, everyone that's good and holy and, and, and has his name written in the book of life will just suddenly disappear. Now, now, another question I have is, well, the Bible says that all eyes shall see, see him, but the world is round. And you know, the, the sun is a very strong uh, light, right? So when the sun shines on this earth, it only can enlighten about half of the planet. And the other half is dark. So people say, well, how is Jesus going to be seen by everyone if the world is round? Well, the Bible also states that the brightness of Jesus is more than 10,000 suns. So if that one sun can lighten half of the earth, imagine Jesus, <laughs> okay? So there's nothing that Jesus cannot do, okay? So when we see the, the images from, from uh, NASA of, of this planet earth taken from the Hubble satellite, you know, looking back on earth and it's just a little tiny weeny speck. You think that little tiny little speck is going to be a problem for God? Of course not. So all eyes so see him. Now let's go to the second name. This is one of the names that I don't even want you to know. Don't know Jesus by the second name that I'm going to put up here. So let's see what it is. So we have the second name. Well, there's one more verse that I want to read. So it says, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great what? Great glory. He will send out his angels with a great sound of trumpet. And they will gather together his chosen ones from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Talk about spectacular. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so let's see the second name. Oh, an unknown name. Mm. An unknown name. So let, let's read the passage. Let's read the passage there in, in, our, in our passage for today. It says here, his eyes are like a blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. 
So what name is that? Well, don't try to make it up because it says that only he knows that name. <laughs> okay. There's people that like to, to say what those lightnings, remember the lightnings that spoke and then the lightnings that said, no, no, don't, don't write down what, you know, the angel says, don't write down. He says, John, don't write down what you, what you saw, what you heard or anything. And there's people say, I know what the lightning said, you know. No, don't, don't make up stuff. But, but look, Isaiah 28, 21 and 2 will help us understand what that unknown name means. Okay, so Isaiah says, for he will be angry. But the Bible says that we have a God of love. So, so how is he going to be angry? That he may do his work, his awesome work. And then it talks about the awesome work. It says, and bring to pass his act, his unusual act. So what is he talking about here? Have you heard the term the wrath of God? The Bible says that God is a God of love. Yet in this passage, there's an unknown name that deals with destruction. Because it was not in God's plan, nor in his heart, to destroy any human being at all. That is why it's an unusual act. His anger is not based on the person's decisions or who the person is. It's based on a government of justice. Because just like God is love, he is also just. And that's the part we really don't like to talk about. Oh, we love to talk about the, the, the God of love, but then we forget there's an aspect of his character that is justice. And so here, in the second name, the unknown name, we see a side of God's character that we're not used to. The Bible says that he's a consuming fire. You know... We really don't know what God is like when he gets angry. I mean, there's a few little tiny miniature examples in the Bible, like Sodom and Gomorrah, <laughs> Noah, and the flood. And I'm talking about just miniature examples of what happens when God gets angry. The unknown aspect of God is mentioned here in Isaiah 28, 21, and 22. So we, we know a God... That he's always in the job of restoring, of building, of edifying. But now he speaks of a work of destruction. Those who will be destroyed at the second coming of Jesus will see this unknown name. Those who are unknown by Jesus. That reminds us of the parable of the, of the ten virgins, right? You know, when he says to those virgins that didn't know him, I don't know you. So on this occasion of the second of Christ, when they see that unknown name, when they see God's wrath, they literally will want to be destroyed themselves. And that's what the Bible says. Let, let's read it. And the kings of the earth, the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, what did they say? Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So that's the unknown name. You don't want to have anything to do with the unknown name. Then we have a third name that appears in our passage today. And I love this name. I mean, we, we do know this name. It says his name is the Word of God. Now, it's interesting for those that know Spanish it doesn't appear like, like in English. It doesn't say the word of God. It says the verb 
of God. Because the literal translation of the Greek word is verb. We know that when he spoke at the beginning, everything was created, right? The psalmist says, and he spoke, and it appeared. That's action. That's the verb. When the Bible says, and the word became flesh, we're talking about action. Incarnation was an action of the Holy Spirit upon the Virgin Mary so that she could beget Jesus. And so we see Jesus always in action. He came to save us. Action. He died and resurrected. Action. So in the Spanish Bible, it says the verb of God. So we have to understand that when the Bible says the word of God, it's talking about Jesus in action all the time. So we are a little bit familiar with this term. The verb of God. The word of God. God who took human nature. The lamb of God that takes, look at the verb, right? that takes away the sins of the world. His name means that he is powerful to save. It will, not, it will not destroy those that see Jesus with this name. Okay, those that see Jesus with this name, you know what they're going to say. You know, Isaiah uh, states this very well in chapter 25, verse 9. And it shall be said in that day, and we're talking about those that know that name, the word of God. This is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So this is the name you need to be familiar with, the verb of God, the word of God. Now, there's an interesting thing, a detail that comes in verse 14 and 15. I'll put it on the screen for you guys. It says, and the armies in heaven, notice where these armies are coming from, where they're coming from? Okay. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. We'll come back to that later that with it he shall strike the nation. So here we see the armies of heaven. Who are these armies? Well, the Bible states very clear that Jesus is not coming alone. <laughs> Jesus is coming with all the angels. Okay, he's coming with all the angels of heaven. Now we have a fourth name. So let's go to the fourth name. So look what it says in the Bible. And in his garment and on his thigh, it was written this name, King of kings and Lord of of Lord. So here we come to the, the fourth name. But in the context of this fourth name, it also says that he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. So, so let, let's study a little bit about this. We have to go back in history and, and, and study a little bit about the customs of the Bible. So the, the, the shepherd, here we have someone that painted Jesus with that, that, that rod. So here we have the shepherd. And so on the shepherd's rod, there was a hook on the top. You remember that? You've, if you've seen paintings of the Bible times, you know, and you see the shepherds, they have this long shepherd's rod, and on the top it has, it has a little hook on it. Well, what does that hook represent? Well, we stated a little bit about this. Uh, let, let's go ahead and put it up here for you guys. So that talks to us about mercy. Yes. Okay. Your rod and your staff shall comfort me. So how does God comfort us? With his rod, with his staff. Well, let's say, let's say the lamb has fallen down a little cliff. And he wants to get it out. Well, he turns the, 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 the shepherd's rod to where the hook is. And he can literally grab that little lamb and put it back where it's supposed to be. Or, or, or let's say the, the lamb is, is trying to wander off. Well, 
he gets that hook and puts it around the neck and says, come back here. You're not going nowhere. Come back here. And so he uses that to guide the sheep, to protect the sheep, to comfort, to restore. So we are led by the curved part. Jesus today, the good shepherd, he guides us. And when you want to wander off, you know, he, he uses his, his rod with the hook part and says, no, come back, son. You're going in the wrong direction. So if we have been hurt by the shepherd of old, he lifts us up with his staff. So that talks about mercy. But then at the end of the staff, of the shepherd's rod, they had encrusted a metal piece which had a tremendous point on it. And so what was that used for? Okay, so we, we'll put it up here on the screen. Yeah, this speaks about justice. He will rule the nations with rod of iron. So we have a picture there of what that would look like. It was, it was made out of metal. And so if a fierce animal wanted to get close to the flock, he would use that end of the staff of the shepherd's rod, and he could literally kill a beast with that part of the staff because that, that iron was dangerous. So here we have his justice. God is a God of love, of mercy, but he is also a God of justice. So when Jesus comes, he's going to use that part with iron. The Bible says that previous to his coming, there will be no more grace. Grace will be closed. So that's what it's talking about when it's talking about the part with iron. Every decision has been made. Every case has been settled. No more chances. So, so right now, brothers and sisters, let us be docile. Let, let, let us allow God to lead us. Let us allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. The Old Testament mentions how he draws us close to him with ropes of love, with cords of love. Let us not be rebellious. Now there is another scene that we have to look at. So let's, let's go to verse 17 and 18. Okay, so we have another, another text here that we need to, uh, to underline. It talks about the supper of the flesh-eating birds. Okay? Uh, of course, this is talking about destruction. So let, let's go back to that, that, that scene there. Uh, verse 17, it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, Who is he talking to? All the birds that fly in the midst of heaven. And he gives them a command. Come and gather together for the supper, the supper of the great God. That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and, and those who sit on them. And the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth. And their armies gathered together to make war to him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured. And within the false prophet that we've already talked about that in, in previous presentations, who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image, those two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword that proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So we have the scavenger birds in this scene. This is a scene of 
destruction at the second coming. All those that will die when Jesus comes. And so we have a scene here, a, a terrible scene of, of destruction. Uh, we have the destruction, of course, of these powers that we've already talked about. You know, the, the, the beast and the false prophet. And so we have the destruction of all those that have aligned themselves with Satan to fight against God and his people. So here we have the supper of the great God. Those who saw Jesus with an unknown name will be part of this supper. Okay? It's going to be horrible. It's going to be a, a horrible scene. Flesh of those who were scattered on the earth. It's talking about the destruction of the second coming. Those who saw him with the unknown name. There will be someone that has studied the book of Revelation with me during this last few months. That just because they might decide to, they will go to the great supper of God Almighty. Sad to say, but there's people that just won't make it because they have made the wrong decisions. Now, this supper, look what it says here. The Bible says, the rest were killed with the sword that proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. So it's very clear that this is talking about destruction. But, but there's another supper. There's another supper. So, so let's go to verse 6. Verse 6. So verse 6 says, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. <laughs> wow, this is, this is amazing. So Revelation Actually, when, when I was studying the book of Revelation, I found out that it's a love story, okay? It's a romance between Jesus and his church. The seven love letters to the churches, right? The, the, the seven seals would talk about how God has protected his church during all the different situations of life. With tender love and care. So, Jesus... It's saying that there are two suppers, the supper of the great God Almighty, but then we have the supper of the marriage of the Lamb, okay? So this is, this is where I want to be. I think this is where you want to be too. So in Jesus' second coming, he's saying, hey, let's go to the supper of the Lamb. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. So who is he getting married to? The church. Okay. And, and the Bible says, blessed. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a, a quote of Ellen White that has always impressed my life since the first time I read this. I'll, I'll share this with you. It's talking about the coming of Jesus and the resurrection. It says, amid the reeling of the earth, the flash of lightning and the roar of thunder, the voice of the Son of God calls forth the sleeping saints. He looks upon the graves of the righteous. Then rising his hands to heaven, he cries, awake, 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 ye that sleep in the dust and arise. Throughout the length and breadth of the earth, the dead shall hear that voice, and they that hear shall live. 
and the whole earth shall ring with the thread of the exceeding great army of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. From the prison house of death they come, clothed with immortal glory, crying, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is the, the victory? And the living righteous and the risen saints unite their voices in a long, glad sound of victory. Wow. This is in the book, uh, Conflict of, of Ages or the Great Conflict. So this is one of the scenes that I think most of us are really looking forward to. Many of us have lo loved ones that have rested in Jesus. So what, what a beautiful way to describe what's going to happen in Jesus' coming. To meet the husband will be the happiest day. To see him come in glory, crowned with victory. Yes, he will come. Oh, yes, he will come. Woe to him who has not gone to Jesus and received the gift of holy clothes for weddings adorned. Yes, he will come. Oh, yes, he will come. And the dead in Christ will what? Will rise first, okay? So there's no one, you know, uh, getting a head start. No, everyone that's alive when Jesus comes and is on his side and those that are resurrected will all go together with heaven. It's like... You know, it's like you're not, you're not getting a jump start here, okay? We're all going to be together, okay? And we're going to be raised, like the Bible says, in the air to meet our Lord Jesus Christ and be with him forever. So the dead will resurrect and will hear the voice of Jesus to eternal life. The angels, like in this picture that, that an artist uh, uh, drew, you know, we have here the angels returning the babies, separated by death and returning them to their mothers. Wow, this is an awesome scene. So here we have these words of triumph. Let's read them again. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering saying, let's read it together, ready? Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. So this is the marriage of Christ and his church. And today, I have the honor of inviting you to this wedding. Yes, I would like to see you there. Every one of you are invited to this wedding. At this supper, Jesus is the host. And he will serve all of the guests. I hope that none of us present will be missing. At that miles-long table where we will sit, is that we will be able to distinguish the face of those that we knew. Imagine, you know, uh, look, looking at someone and, and you know, like, like Matthew, you know, he, our friend Matthew here, and he, 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 sees, he sees some of our church members here that have been very generous to him and sharing God's word, like, like Terrence, you know, that they've been really good buddies for a few months now. So imagine, you know, you're sitting in that long table, Matthew, and you see Terrence right over there and say, Terrence, thank you. Thank you for sharing Jesus with me. And Terrence looks up and, and, and sees way over there. Yeah, it's, it's Brother Wilton. He would sit with me at church for a couple hours every single Sabbath, giving me Bible studies. Hey, Wilton. Yeah, we can sit on that mile-long table, and yet we will be able to distinguish the faces of those around us.
you invited me to give my life to Jesus. That is one of the we're going to hear very often. <laughs> it will be the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus in the upper room with the disciples when he said, when he was taking the, the, the Passover, he said, I will not eat this bread again or drink this wine again until I do it with you in the kingdom of my Father. Wow, this, this is amazing. So Revelation 19 is the scene of the second coming. Of course, there are warnings. And, and so th this is what I want to ask you today. How will you see Jesus when he returns in his second coming? What is the name that you will see him with? You, will he be the faithful and true? Will you see him as the verb of God, the word of God? Will you see him with the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords or the unknown name? Another question that is very valid. In which supper will you be at? Are you going to be in the supper where you'll be eaten by those scavengers? That scene of destruction? Or will you be in the supper of the marriage of the Lamb? Well, that's where I want to be at, and that's where I want you to be at. You know, Revelation 19 reminds us that Jesus is coming again. But it also reminds us that meanwhile, we will face struggles. Yes? When the end comes, I didn't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. Some of our own family members are going to turn against us. There are going to be difficulties that we can't even imagine if we're alive when that happens. But I can tell you one thing for sure. Don't hesitate to follow Jesus. Amen. Let us take Jesus by the hand, regardless of the difficulties, regardless of the, of the situations, the struggles. Let us take Jesus by the hand. Let us be firm until he comes. Yes, there's two dinners. There's no neutral point. You can't say, I'm not going to any of those suppers. No. You're either in one or in the other. So let us make a commitment today to be in the supper of the marriage of the Lamb. How many of you want to be there? Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and sing together. This is our hope. So Brother Samuel and his daughter are going to lead us out. And don't forget, Revelation is a message of, of hope. Amen. Praise God. We have this hope. We have this hope that burns within our hope in the coming of the Lord. Hope in the coming of the Lord we have this faith we have this faith that Christ alone impart faith in the promise of this word in the promise of his word we believe the time is here Hallelujah, Christ, Christ is, is King. King. 
Let's say it loud. Hallelujah, Christ is King. We have this all that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear God, we have been so blessed today because your word is a word of hope. God, we want to know you. We want to know you as faithful and true. We want to know you as the word of God. And we want to know you as king of kings and lord of lords. We do not want to know you with that unknown name. And dear God, we want to be in the marriage supper of the Lamb. We don't want to be in the supper of the God Almighty where destruction will prevail. So today, Lord, we give our hearts to you once again and we dedicate our lives to you. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.